Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Radio Show. This is show number 29. This interview is with Joe Jaffe. Joe is the author of the groundbreaking book, Life After the 30 Second Spot, as well as the book, Join the Conversation. He founded the Crayon Agency, is author of a power blog, Jaffe Juice, as well as Jaffe Juice TV, and he's a renowned thought leader in marketing and innovation. I've had the pleasure to know Joe for a good many years, and it was after hearing about his latest adventure, Evolution, that we thought we'd record a show together. I'm sure you'll enjoy the show. Let's cut to the interview. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Radio Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, and I'm author of the blog, themindset.com. That's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. So let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show. Today I'm on Skype, so excuse me, or us for any of the uh, sometimes interferences. I have a super special guest on the, uh, on the end of the line. It's called Joe Jaffe. So Joe, I met quite a while ago, uh, and I got really wrapped up with Joe when he delivered his book, Life After the 32nd Spot. Joe's also published a number of other books, uh, one uh, which I highly recommend called Join the Conversation, and one which he's just published, which I'll let him talk about in a moment. Joe has also uh, been the founder of a couple of, well, at least one major, very interesting uh, agency called Crayonville, which was the first agency to have a, an agency actually located in Second Life. Then he was the chief interrupter or something like this at Powered, which, uh, as I understand it, purchased Craneville or merged with. You'll tell me more. And then finally, he's just launched a, a great new project called Evolution, an innovation agency, which is at the intersection between Madison Avenue and Mountain View. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself and what are you up to these days? Well, I thought, I thought that was a very good introduction. You might have uh, spilled all the beans in terms of uh, everything that there is to say about me. Uh, oh, no, no, no. There's plenty more. That's what we're going to get to now, the content. No, you know what? I, um, I, I went to, I'm from South Africa originally. I worked for a very funky fast food chicken company uh, that I describe as uh, the intersection of uh, subservient chicken meats, Starbucks, um, with a little bit of crack thrown for good measure. You know, just a company that had a very strong sense of purpose, identity, authenticity, confidence, and even the concept of customer service and customer experience, which became the precursor to Flip the Funnel, to the third book. And it was interesting because all of these things were done at a time when, excuse me, at a time when there was no technology. And so, you know, my interesting lesson to take away from that was, a lot of these things that, that we certainly talk about uh, almost exclusively in reference to technology are really strategic initiatives, but, but supercharged or enhanced or amplified by technology. Um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, I came to the U.S. in 97, um, and I went out on – I worked for a number of Madison Avenue agencies, but, I, but for the last 10 years, um, I've been either working for myself or being an entrepreneur of a, of a, of a small company, a small little boutique – um, and, and building a practice around the writing and speaking, the thought leadership focused on really, you know, innovation is the common thread or the common theme that has run throughout. And so I started blogging. Um, uh, Jackie Juice was my blog in 2005. Um, I started podcasting, um, one of the very early marketing podcasters and business podcasters, and I still am. I mm-hmm. uh, started a video show couple years ago, which I haven't done anything really relatively new in, believe it or not, a year. Wow. But, but it, it feels like it was yesterday. And within the next week or two, I am going to start to do some video again. Watch the um, space. And, and, and I think that really, again, the, the, if the common theme with the thought leadership is, is innovation, the common thread with respect to content is this idea of um, what I call use new marketing to prove new marketing. But it's eating your own dog food, which is you know, a belief that I, that, I, that I share a lot and I challenge marketers when I, when I lecture to them or train them or, or keynote in front of them, which is if you want to understand change, you have to be a part of it. If you want to understand why Facebook just paid a billion, a billion dollars for Instagram, <laughs> for a company that has, from what we understand, less than, in t- less than 10 employees uh, and zero revenue, you, you have to be a part of Instagram. You know, you have to... I have over 425 photos on Instagram. 
I loved it from day one. I understood what it represented on day one. I can tell you with 99.9% certainty that I'm fairly certain it's not worth a billion dollars. Um, but you know what? Not, not to you anyway. Yeah, well, exactly, to me. Um, but it's worth something. Yeah. And, and so I think that that kind of is how I would define myself, which is you know, living in the epicenter or in that kind of uh, you know, mission ground zero, if you will, when it comes to change. Because there's no other way to understand the disruptive force um, and, and the power and potential of change if you aren't a part of it. One of the things listening to you, Joe, is we, both of us, I'm a little bit older, but I, we straddled uh, the, the era before and the era of, of Internet and, and have the, had the benefit of actually creating an authentic brand before Internet. And I think that that's a, a, something you and I share, which... If you bring that into the internet, then you really understand that it's not yeah. just about that. You, you have to learn how to m merge and mix the old traditional, the old-fashioned handshake with the virtual Skype and the Instagram. And, and it's how to put that cocktail together yeah. that makes it powerful. That's, that's a, f a fantastic point. And, you know, I, I have the added advantage of, you know, I was kind of um, uh, almost kind of frozen in time, if you will, because as a South African being at the foot of Africa, you know, being in a country that, that geographically and physically and even politically was detached from the rest of the world, um, at my, you know, most people of my age in the U.S. Um, didn't experience uh, as much as I did, you know, uh, tracing paper and overhead projectors and, and um, you know, and electric typewriters with single, you know, with single key or single letter um, erase functions with kind of like a whiteout. So I kind of, you know, I, I lived that, that whole pre-world um, and I didn't get into, I mean, we only got, I think, television in South Africa in, I think it was something like 1975 or 1976. Amazing. And so, so because of that, you know, I, I enjoyed the the before, you know, the B, the BI, there's before internet and AI, right? right, right. right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I lived enough of my life BI to, to experience that and also the transition. I mean, I remember going to bed, um, you know, at about 11.30 and starting that modem download of Netscape Navigator. And it was, it was a heavy, heavy six and a half megs. That's what it was, it was six and a half or seven megs. And at like 4.30 in the morning, I'd wake up and, you know, just because I needed to go and get some water or something like that. And I would see it was like 86% complete. And then, of course, you know, remember how it used to be like 95% complete. Like and then the it would bug off. Yeah, you know, exactly. And you'd have to start again. So, so that was the kind of technographic part of it. But the other one is understanding the power of brands and branding and brand building um, and engagement and all of the, the classic art, if you will, mm -hmm. um, of of marketing and advertising and now trying to say, well, how does that, and, and this is where you and I are again in lockstep is we don't look at that and say, we need to hold into the past. We say we recognize the best of the past and the fundamentals and the elements that are in fact timeless and classic. But we also recognize in order to protect them or preserve them or evolve them, we have to kind of um, integrate them with the best of the new. Mm -hmm. And that's that cocktail. It's the best of the old with the best of the new, as opposed to the worst of the old with the worst of the new. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, I guess as long as we see enough combinations of the worst of the old with the worst of the new, and there are enough of them, you and I will always have a job. <laughs> exactly. I was just listening to you. Uh, your BI, I was thinking AD, after digital. Exactly. Whether um, you call it AI or AD, I mean, it's it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so in, what makes me think uh, in your book, you talk about the acquisition mentality, the flip the funnel. You talk about this. Sort of, I know that sounds for me like the worst of the old and the worst of the new. Is that would that be a fair statement in a summary? That, that would be an incredibly fair statement. And in many respects, you know, to, to make a more controversial statement, um, I'd almost go so far as to say, the, the worst of the new is far worse than the worst of the old. And the worst of the new has made the worst of the old. Uh, that combination is, is, is an, exponentially, uh, an exponentially poorer outcome. And what I'm talking about is this whole kind of uh, um, obsession on performance-based marketing and the bottom-feeding element of digital, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, this, this, you know, direct marketing and direct response was an art as much as it was a science before internet and before digital. And 
and it, unfortunately, it, it's it's the kind of Augustus Gloop type of um, effect, which is when you take an overweight kid and you lock him up in a candy store, he's probably going to eat himself to death or, or end up getting sucked <laughs> through those chocolate pipes. But I mean, you know, th- that's what happens sometimes, which is, you know, it's be careful what you wish for sometimes mm. in an era of complete transparency or measurability. We sometimes can take that to the extreme. And so, you know, of course, I mean, just to be clear, uh, in fact, I've been on a, um, a, a three-pronged approach lately, a tripod approach, which mm-hmm. is art, practice, and science. You need all three. You need the art, you need the science, and you need the practice, which is the experience as well. Mm. This isn't just all about measurability and metrics and analytics and optimization. It is as much about doing stuff, experimenting, you know, best practices that come through actually that come through case studies and learn, you know, making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And then, of course, there's the classic, you know, big idea or small idea or creative approach. And Mm -hmm. if you I think smart marketers and and evolved brands need all three, two Mm -hmm. out of three is probably not good enough. Yeah, art, practice, science, something creativity, ability to fail and then finally to measure all the same. Um, so when you um, are so you're based out of the states, you talk all over the world, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on how uh, you see North American, I would say, digital marketing versus European. If you take your Europe, we have in particular a high alertness lemon based in France, so we're always talking about this thing called the CNIL, which oversees all private data, and they're beginning, they're looking at creating a, a European, pan-European. Uh, control of data. And then the second point, budgets. In the States, there's the numbers that I hear is in 2011, 24% of marketing budgets were spent on digital marketing. Of course, majority of that being in search. What you know, what we're doing in, in Europe is we're way behind. So those that's those are two big differences that I see. What sort of differences do you see or, or do you agree with those? So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, from a regulation and a privacy standpoint, and you know, even if you go back to the UK with um, with uh, um, I think the correct uh, the abbreviation is Ofcom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's correct. Yeah. You know, in terms of um, regulating product placement and and etc. I mean, yes, you do have differences, um, and um, and different things like data and privacy become. Um, you know, either either pronounced or enlarged, or, or um, you know, depending on different regions. And it's interesting because of this whole, um, you know, uh, SOPA and PIPA mm-hmm. um, that that got uh, you know politically, I think, created and then politically destroyed when mm-hmm. your constituents turn against you. But now there are similar bulls being floated out of the EU um, that could be as bad, if not worse. So, so, so definitely, you know. There are differences and, and, and nuances in terms of, um, you know, in terms of market size and fragmentation of markets. And certainly, you know, it's funny because I'm, you know, just just random thoughts here. But um, uh, I'm going to be in uh, in Amsterdam in May speaking, and um, I've probably spoken more times in Amsterdam and uh, I should say the Netherlands and Belgium in general than I have maybe. Arguably, in in Canada, you know, certainly more than Canada, not as much as the U.S. But I found that certain markets are a lot more open and responsive and proactive and investing forward, like Belgium and the Netherlands, for example. Hmm. Obviously, I'm just basing this sample size on on, on myself, but I mean, sample of one. Yeah, I've done very little uh, speaking, or or there's been obviously there's a lot of activity in France, but but there's certain countries that are like Portugal that I've never heard a thing from ever, not not seen a piece of creative come out of it, not seen a conference put together, not seen an invitation go out to anyone I know. Um, so so you definitely, I think the point there is different countries within this big EU also have different levels of um, commitment or or proactive proactivity, if you will, in terms of embracing this new, you know, the, just elements of digital. In terms of percentage of budget, you know, it, 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 it's, it's funny because, um, you know, even though market sizes are smaller and, and I think fragmentation is a red herring. I mean, I think the ability to look at specifically in this digital connected and social world to, to try and break down 
this big, you know, let's go, let's talk about Facebook for a second. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard this, you know, the interesting debates for and against Facebook is, is it one community of 800 million members or is it really 800 million individuals that are part of this thing called Facebook? So, so if you look at the, if you take the argument that really Facebook has been able to connect almost a billion people, why would you want to segment them? Why would you want to go and, 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 and use the old segmenting, targeting, positioning approach and try and break them down into small groups and say you, you are different, you know, your group is different to, to another group because of the language you speak, mm-hmm. when in actual fact we really are unified or united based on things like passion, belief, ideals, um, you know, uh, uh, ethics or whatever the case may be. And I, I think the point is, when you look at this big market, this EU, this melting pot, in a sense, language should not break down. You know, language should be a nuance, but ultimately connecting them together might help to sell it through. Now, obviously, from a platform standpoint, you've got something like mobile, which is nothing new to anybody in the EU. I mean, coming from South Africa, I was just, and I still am, you know, until the iPhone the U.S. was living in the dark ages. I mean, I could not believe the level of, you know, this Neanderthal-like approach to mobile until the iPhone just completely... That was the first time that the U.S. market not only caught up but even pulled ahead because of all the things the smartphone could do. So in many respects, I guess, to just wind up these these kind of, you know, hopefully you can triangulate a, a, spot, yeah. a lucid response from all of those points. But, you know, on some levels... I guess separating or separatist approach doesn't work to me as well as as a unified one. But the other one is I think mobile is the great unifier in general in terms of, you know, in terms of now kind of comparing apples to apples because that is now the one device to rule them all. I I will say a final point, you know, as a guy who's been podcasting since 2005, I used to look at my downloads I mean, look at how we know each other. Mm-hmm. I used to look at my downloads, and, and I was fascinated by how global it really was, mm-hmm. even back in 2005. Listeners from Kenya and Guatemala and, and you know, and, and China. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it just it was all over the show. Maybe not China, but, but I mean, it was, it was just amazing to me to see that, that people that listened to me, listened to me because of that somebody told them about it or it was referred or they discovered it or, or search or they were just readers of Jaffe Juice or they mm-hmm. attended the conference. It wasn't about their country and it wasn't about their language. It was about the message. It was about the content. That's what, you know, that is the new demographic. Although I've said in my presentations recently that community is the new demographic. It's the things that bring us together that I think should be the, the new demographic, not the things that kind of break us down or tear us apart. All right. Well, I'm going to take a, a slight a slant on uh, the politics, bringing up community. One of the things that uh, I've noticed is that you've got these things that have happened that are not pleasing to a certain community. Then they rear up and say, absolutely, no, we got to take away that. So whether it's, um, you know, miss things like the tsunami and bringing, wanting to support some catastrophe or to blame uh, someone for doing something that was corrupt or illegal or immorally questionable. So these, the notion is that somehow it's a, it's a democratic tool, but for good things as opposed to for bad things. And uh, so in, in community build, if you have something that sort of rallies people around something good it's easier. I don't see a lot, except for Orkut, maybe in Brazil, where they the criminals are using Orkut as a uh, as a social media to collect and to communicate between each other. A lot of instances where it's about bad things. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, I I've used this in a lot of my presentations, which is um, a campaign that I that I um, uncovered years and years ago for AOL in the UK. And they basically took all these, uh, talk about joining the conversation, they took all these um, topics, like, for example, the internet is a good thing, the internet is a bad thing. And they created, ironically, 30-second spots. But these 30-second spots were almost direct mirrors of one another. So, so one would say the internet is a bad thing because it spreads hate speech and propaganda. And, mm-hmm. and, Anonymous they, show, and, not, and, they, and they show images from you know, Nazi Germany. 
Um, and then at the same time, almost if you run these two commercials side by side, they'll say the internet is a good thing because it helps stop, you know, hate speech and it helps kind of, you know, give the people that are oppressed a voice and so on and so forth. And so, you know, at the end of these spots, one says, you know, George Orwell was right and the other one says George Orwell was wrong. And then it says, well, you know, the internet, in fact, is a good thing or a bad thing. What do you think? Discuss. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, it, it, it is what you make of it. It's kind mm. of like, I mean, you know, as they say, guns don't kill people. It's the it, people it's behind the, people that pull the triggers. Mm. So, so the thing is, I mean, for the most part, um, you know, again, even if you look at the internet, we are that, that overweight child being locked in the candy store overnight. Um, and, and, you know, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, so, uh, so given given too much, you know, too, given given too much freedom and too much access, a lot of bad things can happen. But, but I am an optimist, and I am a, you know, I, I believe that ultimately the, these things will always regulate themselves or sort themselves out, and the truth will always prevail. Now it's like the existence of anonymity makes the nominative declaration that much more powerful. If there were no ability to be anonymous, then you would probably not as have a strong sense of good. But anonymous allows for the negative to appear because yeah. you don't need to put your name behind it. Right. And, and, I, and I believe ultimately at the end of the day, if given the choice between zero anonymity and, and, and the continuation of anonymity as we know it, I, I would 10 times out of 10 choose for anonymity because mm-hmm. – uh, anonymity because what it gives is it gives the meek the 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 opportunity to have a voice mm-hmm. um, and it's a very very powerful thing and it's in a wonderful wonderful thing in terms of changing the way societies are formed and but it can be a bullying platform and it can be a, a platform that's abused and as a guy who you know I've seen you know you see this in comments all the time it's generally anonymous comments on negative comments and they're petty comments and they're mm-hmm. comments filled with hate. I mean, that's the reality of it. It's, it's lo and behold, you know, I've seen it sometimes when I've written controversial articles, every single, you know, immature and, and, and uh, personal and nasty and, and biased comment comes from anonymous. Mm-hmm. But you've got to just accept it. it, it you've got to take the good with the bad. What you hope throughout that process is that the other people reading it are smart enough mm-hmm. and, and, and educated enough to understand what they're seeing. Exactly. That's the only danger. The only danger and it's, it, is that the uninformed CMO is reading it going, ooh, second life, bad. You know, me stay away. You know, yeah. it's, like, post, it's like the other. Why are you not recognizing who's writing the article or who's behind the exactly. comments? Mm-hmm. Could, could it possibly be? A creative director working at a, a large, you know, tradi- traditional advertising agency that's th- that's threatened by this new form of expression, and so to me, you know, uh, anonymity is a wonderful thing. And by the way, you know, mascots and characters are in mm-hmm. a way a form of uh, anonymity as well. If you think about it, the Bronx Zoo Cobra on Twitter. I mean, who is behind that? Right. Who cares? It was funny. It was funny that this cobra escaped from the zoo mm-hmm. and started tweeting about the experiences, you know. And, and to me, you know, that anonymity in a way just or, or that opacity was delightful because it was storytelling in this mm-hmm. digital social age. It allows for the meek to come through. All right, so Joe, I, want to get, I want, do want to get into evolution. Can you tell us about uh, evolution and uh, the, what it's about? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I believe... That, that the concept or at least the business idea behind evolution is, is quite possibly my best idea that I've ever come up with from a business standpoint or ever will come up with because, because it, re- it represents and recognizes the future, I believe, of marketing. Um, and, and you could look at it a number of ways. I don't think there are many people, or at least I welcome the challenge, that don't believe that technology is going to play an increasingly important, vital, integral, imperative role in terms of any form of marketing, branding, brand building, consumer engagement, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. So if you recognize that the role of technology is becoming increasingly important, you've also got to look at the old, the worst of the old, which is 
you know, marketers continue to pay more for less. They're getting less for their money. And, and, and ultimately, in these, you know, increasingly transparent times uh, and scrutinized times from a Wall Street standpoint or Sarbanes-Oxley, whatever the case may be, the reality is that, that marketers need to be more efficient with their dollars, obviously. They need to be more effective with their dollars, especially with all the clutter and noise. And there's no more effective way to market, going back to, you know, six C's, than a direct service-based or utility-based relationship with your customer as a, you know, and secondarily your, your consumer or your prospect or whatever the case may be. And then the third is this concept of transformation, which is in a pure, unadulterated um, innovation that changes the game that helps you create a better mousetrap. Well, guess what? Brands can do all three, efficient, effective, and transformation by embracing technology and by actually what I call reverse engineering the startup, which is, which is, which is instead of being media dependent and renting space, you know, buying 30-second pieces of rent, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. rent uh, attention rentals, they can be a landlord. They can actually make money. They can actually own their own impressions and create their own impressions. And so that's the kind of setup or context for Evolution, which is an innovation agency that's actually helping connect early stage startups with blue chip brands to allow the brands to collaborate and participate by becoming mentors or, or advisors, by, do, by conducting pilot programs or experiments, or even investing and, and, and ultimately acquiring the startups as well. For every Facebook, there are 10,000 Facebook wannabes that never will make it or never got to make it or never got their funding. Mm-hmm. For every, even Instagram, you know, there, there are thousands of Instagram wannabes as well. We, we believe that every viable startup has a brand soulmate. So we believe that, that for all of these incredible startup ideas out there, that they actually have brands that, that could help them fast track their evolution, get to the next level and survive in a world where they might not have ordinarily survived without a brand getting involved a lot far upstream in the process. So, so in a nutshell, what we're doing is we have two masters. You know, we, the brands pay us and we help introduce them to startups and we help, um, we help them understand innovation, particularly technology, social, digital, mobile innovation and we help them figure out a new game plan using technology. And then for the startups, we're helping introduce them to their brand soulmates far earlier in the process to allow these brands to help advise and craft and curate and even invest in them to help them get to the next level. Well, I mean, you're talking transformation. And uh, for me, this is a transformational thought by itself. Most companies or a lot of companies anyway, sort of still rely on their own ability to generate their own products and their innovation. And, and you know, there's some obviously open-minded, uh, my Starbucks idea, or, or, you know, others who are open to the outside for innovation. How, how do you, how, how have you managed to address this kind of a challenge when you go and meet CEOs and say, listen, hire me to, to bring in innovation? Well, I think, you know, we, we, we came up with a, a very simple, um, almost uh, grid or matrix that, that segments through companies. And, and we kind of decided that, that brands or, or, or corporations either fit into what we call past, present, or future. So the idea from an action standpoint is, is escape the past or sometimes, you know, protect the past because it can represent a cash cow, um, maximize or seize the present and then chase or shape the future. So ultimately brands are going to fit into one of those three camps. And and so what does it mean from an innovation standpoint? Well, the ones that are trying to defend or escape or protect the past, those are people that don't even have a single person in their organization that necessarily has the word innovation in their title. So this is probably the role of the poor digital person who's also been tasked with social and mobile and so on and so forth. Or maybe there is just one, you know, lone ranger or lone gunman that's, that's been tasked with figuring out the, what comes next. In the present, 
maybe there is a department or a small group or a task force that has been tasked with, again, innovation, experimentation. You know, the 60-30-10 is a good way to think about it, right? Google, you know, kind of helps us understand 70-20-10 or 60-30-10 mm-hmm. in terms of how to divide a budget up. Mm-hmm. And, and then and those that's your 30 percenters. And then you've got the kind of chasing or shaping the future where you have labs or or um, outside investments or acquisition or something that goes beyond just a department, um, but really something that has a, a little bit more tra- uh, traction in the in the company. So, so our value proposition is really you know threefold, depending on which of those brands we're talking to, and and you know. Whether it's whether it's the ones starting out that need more education or training or or handholding, or whether it's the ones that are even ahead of us, where we can just help pick up the slack and help them execute, um, there is a defined, I think, value add or value prop um, at every step of the of the process. But you mentioned something else that I think is 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 critical here. You you said CEO, and I think you know, being very honest with you, I mean, we're we're trying to figure out exactly who is that right audience. Is mm-hmm. it a CEO? Is it a CMO? Mm-hmm. Is it a CTO? You know, or is it a CSO in terms of chief strategy officer? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, ultimately, our bet is there will be a CIO and not a chief, you know, um, uh, not a CIO as in, as in information. IT, mm-hmm. right? Not interruption, <laughs> but innovation. Innovation. And so, you know, so, so that CIO... Until there is a chief innovation officer, I mean, it's funny because I, you know, I I'm always on on this mission to have a um, a new C a new C title. So joint conversation was a chief conversation officer with Flip the Funnels chief customer officer. Now with you know, there's no new book to support it yet, mm-hmm. um, but um, but a chief innovation officer to me is one of the most vital roles um, that is going to need to be filled. And who is that person? Well, they're one part IT, they're one part marketing, right? Mm-hmm. They're one point probably customer service, and they're one part strategy. Um, so that that hybrid of again Madison and Mountain View, marketing on one hand, um, you know, technology or IT on the other hand, mm-hmm. but also supported by customer uh, centricity. And, and strategy, business strategy. Now, they don't really exist, which right. which makes it tough for me because, yeah. you know, I don't have somebody to talk to. I've got to try and still convince or, or convert an existing role or title um, and, and get them to impart some of their dollars that are probably already allocated mm-hmm. uh, in a new kind of or on a new plane. But, I mean, you know, I like a challenge. <laughs> well, a couple of thoughts. One of these is that um, whoever it is has to have some financial purses. And oftentimes, the sort of area of innovation, they're sort of more about, you know, spot trends, spotting and and uh, crossing over ideas from one area to another. And rarely do they have their own budget to go out and buy stuff, but you do need that. One of the things I was going to share with you is um, a friend of mine called Thierry Wedoff runs a, an agency over here and he, he's, a, a, he's a great master of brands and he did a study that was uh, international that, uh, st- that looked at the values that corporations and brands profess to have and of course you know there's what you say and what you do but the um, thing that he identified was that across all companies around the world the one word that consistently reappeared as one of the values key values was the word quality Quality was shared by every single country around the world but one, and that country was France. And, you know, maybe because he's French, he had a particular regard on this, but the word that actually was the most shared across companies in France is the word innovation. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, the French are, are, are masters of ideas and concepts and are keen on innovation. They have challenges in execution, perhaps, I mean, and, and my former employer, L'Oreal, just came up with a, you know, they, they have an innovation officer now. And I was just wondering, you know, so hopefully there would be opportunities over here in France for you, Joe. <laughs> Makes me think that way. Um, well, I, I mean, I, 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 certainly, I certainly hope so. And I, I think I said to you as well when we, when we spoke to each other last that I need to make a little pilgrimage to France myself, whether it's Le Web or, or uh, one of the events that we've been chatting about. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think culturally, I think the point is that going back to your question about, you know, about differences with the U.S. markets, um, I, I think the innovation imperative from a cultural standpoint and even from a competitive standpoint um, are, you know, it's open season. And, and in many respects, you know, the, the U.S. market is at a little bit of a disadvantage because of the size. The bigger you are, you know, the mm-hmm. harder you fall. And the, and, and, and the more established you are, the harder it is to change. And the more you have, the more you perceive you have to lose. Um, but also on the flip side, you know, the more nimble you can be, the quicker you can move. And that's, you know, first mover advantage, which, again, is something that we learned. It's a digital lesson uh, in particular, certainly even a dot-com one as well, that moving quickly can sometimes, you know, and moving quickly with quality, you know, they don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely an opportunity now. Um, You know, the funny thing is is, – in our deck that we use as just a vision deck and you can, you know, you can view the deck on, on our website, which is startupsforbrands.com. Okay, I like yeah. to always have different URLs, even though <laughs> the company's evolution, E-V-O-L-8-T-I-O-N, you know, our, our URL is also our tagline, which is startupsforbrands.com. But we have a vision deck there that you can view. It's just almost like a, a series of very, um, I think, visual elevator pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, I love the fact, talk about disruptive, that the quote we lead with is Peter Drucker, of all people, who said, to defend the past is the greatest risk of all. So, you know, it, 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 it's great because, you know, here's a business strategist, a management strategist, so to speak, you know, um, and, and, and you juxtapose that with Bill Birnbeck from 50 years ago saying safe advertising is the riskiest advertising of all. So, you know, you triangulate, you triangulate between those two. Mm. Um, you know, the, the U.S. market needs to move. Look at Kodak. Look at the state of Kodak. You know, the brands still don't recognize that innovation is not a nice-to-have. It's an absolute have-to-have right now. Mm. And so, you know, hopefully we'll see that leadership coming from, you know, French-based companies and and you know, and, and becoming that beacon or that guide, you know, that guiding light to the rest of the brands, the global brands. Yeah, just circling back on, on your book, um, Flip the Funnel, and, and you're, I, you know, so 100% agree. You know, as, as I, I know when you listen to your podcast with Mitch, you like to disagree, but on this whole notion of listening, it seems that one of the areas that has to happen if innovation is to be part of your spiel is is excellence in uh, listening and listening with unadulterated ears to what's going on and then getting inspiration i go into companies are still sort of looking at their own belly buttons and not figuring out what's you know how fast things are moving outside and if you don't have if you don't have good listening i mean we're not talking just about listening to your customers but listening to what's going on outside in general it's got to be part of an innovative spirit you know there are a few apples out there that just innovate everything by themselves quote unquote but the rest of us, I think, need to get our ears open and eyes open and, and keep on uh, looking outside of us. And that's and, and that's a big part of, of Flip the Funnel as well, which is, you know, the um, you know w- when I was writing Flip the Funnel and researching it as well, you know, I started, but I didn't create the concept of a chief customer officer. I was actually quite uh, pleased to find out that there were chief experience officers and chief customer officers and, and custom experience is, you know, has been around longer than I have. And it's wonderful to see, you know, organizations that have entire departments and competencies built around customer centricity and service and, and voice of the customer, VOC voice of the customer is, is a, is a recognized, um, you know, um, not just, phrase but but a, but a whole methodology and, and a process and so the difference of course is when you when you actually activate or, or amplify voice of the customer through something like a my starbucks idea um it's not just listening as in you know your call is important to us and will be answered in the orders received it's it's the suggestion box actually is that direct pipeline to r&d and innovation and and so that's where it all comes together and, and that's why I think, in a way, you know, it's, it, you know, evolution in a way is just the evolution of life after the 30 seconds bar, join the conversation, flip the funnel, and now it says, okay, so now that you've, you know, we're making a cake here. So we've, we've 
we've put in our first three ingredients, and now it's time to mix them all up. Need some, hopefully, and you know, hopefully, come out with something that's that's quite tasty. <laughs> some leavening. All right, listen. Last two questions, Joe. Quick and easy. For you, Joe Jaffe, who are your sources of inspiration? My inspiration. Um, or where do you get where do you get you know the inside scoop? You know what I mean? It's 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 serendipity is my inspiration because mm-hmm. you know I travel so much and and I meet so many people and and I love to meet people and I love to listen and learn from them as well. You know there are you know certain people throughout throughout my life that have inspired me and and that have been inspirational. I mean I just heard Ken Robinson speak. So Ken Robinson mm-hmm. speak once and I was like I just you know I was you know. That could have died with a smile on my face. Um, but I think there's a serendipity that comes, you know, in a world, in, in a Twitter-enabled world in particular. One thing that I do like is the ability just to just to join conversations already in progress, to, to just discover things almost by accident and, and build on them and riff on them. And so, and so that's my inspiration. It's not, you know, it's not like I religiously read this you know, trade publication, or I, or I'm a vociferous reader. I'm a terrible reader, by the way. I mean, like talking about that's the one the thing that just doesn't make sense in my world is is being an author. I just, I, I just, I, I struggle to read business books, which is why I try and write. At least people who've read my books, hopefully they, they, you know, they they recognise that that the way I write my books, hopefully, are quite conversational and entertaining, almost, you know, almost as if as if I'm standing behind them. But 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 that would be my answer. My inspiration mm. comes from you know just just meeting, travel, meeting listen, and learn, and, and, and constant change. You know, constant change in the sense that you never quite know where a meme is going to come up from. Um, but like even like this, there's this um, there's this guy, this incredibly photogenic guy, has just become a new meme. You know which one I'm, who I'm talking about? Oh, no. There was a like a marathon race, and and people all look exhausted, like they're about to die. And there's one guy who's just in the background, who was just with the biggest, a good-looking guy with the biggest smile on his face, and he's just become a meme. And 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 it's you know I think I think I'll I'll do a search for it while I'm talking, but it's just yeah. who who knew you know that that's so so kind of. You kind of look at it, right. um, and and you think, well, w- w- what what is this telling us? Um, you know, how do we learn from this? Um, what does this mean for for brands? How do you create lightning in a bottle? And 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 it's called the incredibly photogenic guy or something. Like mm, that. Just, I'll, just I'll put it. In, I'll, yeah, I'll put it in the notes anyway. So anyway, so so that's kind of like my. I like it. Well, you know, it, it, I, 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 my favorite word, I suppose, in this area is uh, chaos. And it's similar to serendipity in a sense. It's allowing the presence of chaos. You try in an orderly world, accepting the chaos and or otherwise shit happens. And so serendipity is a sort of more glorious yeah. and a lovelier word. You I, said it a lot more succinctly than I did. It, it's, <laughs> it's actually it's serendipity meets chaos. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the, there is a third element of the triangulation, which is the idea of signal versus noise. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so if you can somehow navigate in this, you know, through chaos and serendipity, you can also navigate uh, successfully, between, you know, from noise to signal and find a way to exist somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and part of that existence means part of the chaos and the serendipity is embracing noise too, because that's another mistake brands make. They just want signal, 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 you know, and they don't realize that sometimes you need a lot of noise in order to create something that resonates going back to the incredibly photogenic guy i mean you never know where it's going to come from but when it's when it when it strikes you know it the question then is what are you going to do about it yeah well you know that this idea of signal is another one that's an interesting point for me sometimes i talk about needing a compass that allows you as a brand to go forward because the choices are multiple the avenues the noise there's so much out there then how do you keep a, a focus and, and know how to allocate your resources best. And, and somehow what I'm thinking is that there are a lot of signals out there in space. And so you put on this, you know, this magnificent, you know, uh, what do you call them, earphones that listen to the whole, all the noises that are coming in space for the hope of maybe sign of life. You as a brand are, are doing the same thing as all this noise is around you. And there may be signals, but you're not picking them up or you're not focused enough on them to actually in the quiet, grab it and take it. 
And I'm, I'm just wondering, there's this thought of this, if you have a compass that says to you, this is really important, we need this kind of frequency of signal, and let's just be super organized as, as an organization to pick up that signal, and then we'll jump on it, and then, you know, take it on. And whether that signal, of course, is coming from within the company or from without is 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 immaterial for me it's sort of the idea of, of figuring out what that signal is in this huge noisy chaotic world huh what do you think about that <laughs> yeah i mean i i i think that that compass is um you know is is a metaphor as well i mean whether it's or, or whether we're talking about the compass as an agency or the compass is investment in talent or the or the compass is cultural in terms of experimenting and 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 uh, or, or going back to the very first thing that I said, which is living the change as well. I mean, I have I have a um, a client who's you know who's a friend and who's a you know, we've been working together now across two blue chip brands, and I always say to him, you know, I've created a monster in him because. Because the very first time we ever came together, you know, we've always been challenging each other, and 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 my message was the same even when I met him, and which is, you know, you've got to, you've got to experience this change, and and not only has he taken it to heart, but in some respects he's ahead of me even. Today. I mean, when when things happen in his life, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? It's like, well, it was on my Facebook page. It's like, if you, I can't help it if you're not following me or if you're not, uh, you know, staying close to me on my Facebook page. And he refuses to tell me. <laughs> Personally, it's like, it's, it's, it's there playing for you to see. You want to know if the business is in review? It's on the Facebook page. You, well, know? One, you, you want to know why you weren't invited to pitch? Yeah. It was out there for you. So, so that, and, and, and we've used that as a challenge as well, you know, in terms of training all his marketing people um, in terms of kind of, you know, recognizing that, that in a way your compass is a natural compass, just like, you know, just like sometimes there are people with good senses of direction, right? And there are people with really bad sense of direction that get lost all the time. Sometimes you need the technology GPS and sometimes you can just trust your gut and follow your gut. Mm. Um, so maybe it does come down to, again, another form of segmentation, right? You've got the people that are just really good at being able to guess and say, I think Twitter will survive and Jaiku and Haiku and Pounce and whatever the hell won't, or Instagram will succeed and this one won't, and can place their bets and, and I'll write more often than you're not. But, you know, to use a golfing analogy, um, unfortunately, a South African didn't win the Masters this past weekend. He almost did. But Gary Player always used to say, you know, the more I practice, the lucky I get. Mm. Well, I think there's a lot to be said for walking the talk, as which he didn't say, but which um, is is what you know what you're talking is which practice it do it and then when the next new uh, shiny star comes along you'll be able to pick it up a lot quicker all right my last question for you joe and it's an easy easiest one of all i think how would you prefer people to connect with you if they are listening to you and want to want to connect well i'll give you um on a personal uh, on a personal individual level um on twitter i'm jaffy juice at jaffy juice and, um, and then I'll say that, uh, and my blog is www.jaffyjuice.com. And then from an evolution standpoint, my email address is uh, jaffy at startupsforbrands.com. That's J-A-F-F-E, two F's as in Frank, one E, at startupsforbrands.com. And that's plural, startups with an S and brands with an S. And, uh, and then also check out the evolution. You know, check out, um, I'll give you two more links, startupsforbrands.com, obviously, but also, we, we've started very, very slowly and steady, steadily. We've uh, launched a thought leadership hub called MadisonAndMountainView.com. Um, and we're hoping that this hub will become uh, completely um, independent and objective hub for all things that are intersection between technology and, uh, and marketing or advertising. So, for example, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to be profiled, if you have a startup, you know, if you want to be a guest author, everyone and anyone is welcome to contribute and participate. Beautiful. Jeff, uh, Joe, Joe, Jaffy. Hey, Joe, thanks Why for... Why do people call me Jeff? <laughs> now you can... Is, is it because of Jaffy? <laughs> well, it's Jaffy. just, you know, the mind jumping and Jaffy, Jaffy, Jude, and just, you know, Jaffy, it just comes out too quickly. 
The amount of times that I'm called Jeff, yeah. it's unbelievable. I mean, maybe well, I you know, change my name. No, just start a fund and have a you know the one dollar Jeff fund, and every time it happens, put a dollar in and then benefit from a huge. I think you change. I think you should change my first name and just say Joe Jeffy or uh, or otherwise Jeff. Joe Jeff Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Jeffy doesn't sound as uh, as confident as Joe Jeff. No, I mean I'm Joe Jaffe all the way. Joe. Pleasure to have you. You can have a, a normal day for now, and we're about to finish ours. Lovely having you on the show. It, it was my pleasure. All right, take care, my man. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French-language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.